Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is calling in from Illinois, my friend Kevin Klusterman. Um, welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Hey, Papa Osler. It's <laughs> great to be with you and, and your listeners, and um, I'm really happy to talk with you. Great to have you here. Will you tell our listeners how to spell your last name and how to pronounce it? Yeah, sure. Um, it's spelled K-L-O-O-S-T-E-R-M-A-N, and it's pronounced Kloosterman, or at least that's how we we sort of say it. <laughs> it's a Dutch last name. So Kloosterman, I think I mispronounced that. Um, really? No, I think you. I think you got it. Got it good. pretty I close. Think you got it right. So really glad you're on the podcast. And just for our listeners, um, Kevin's active LDS, um, former bishop, um, lives in the Rockford stake of the Illinois um, area, grew up in Calgary, Canada, served a mission in Japan, Tokyo, um, married father of three kids. And as, as I stepped in this space of being active LDS and an ally and roughly... 2015, 2016, I met Kevin um, and just recognized that someone um, was also doing the same thing. And you could do both. You could be active LDS and really try to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I needed mentors like Kevin, who I read some of the things that he had written that gave me perspective on how to walk this road. Um, and so it's kind of a long time should have had you on the podcast because you're one of my mentors and I'm grateful now to have Kevin on the podcast. Um, so let's just start, Kevin, talk about um, this journey of yours. Uh, my journey started when I was a YSA bishop and had a couple of LGBTQ people. Did your journey start when you were, a, I think, a homeward bishop or did it start um, with your work as a therapist or a little bit of both? I think it was a little bit of both because, um, you know, in the therapy uh, field, uh, you will uh, work with a diverse population, and that certainly was the case for me. But it really started hitting me um, as a bishop, as an LDS bishop, um, in a home ward here in, in the Rockford Stakes. So we're just west of Chicago. And uh, one of the things that happened that really began to change my perspective is I had a father reach out to me uh, who was, you know, concerned about his son. His son had not been active and his son was married and, and they had children. And, you know, he was concerned about his grandchildren and, you know, was sort of hoping that his son, um, who was married to uh, a woman who wasn't a member of the church, but, you know, was open and friendly uh, towards the church, uh, you know, just wanting them to come come into the church and come back. And so that's not an unusual occurrence, I think, with bishops, is sometimes you'll get calls from, from parents wanting, wanting you to reach out to their children. And so I did so, and I actually um, uh, put them down um, as, um, uh, at the time, uh, me being their home teacher. So I signed myself to them. And things were really going well. And, um, you know, they uh, were having the missionary discussions and they were attending church. 
uh, with their children and things were going really well. But then they sort of found out about uh, Proposition 8. And I think you and probably your listeners know how, you know, what a rupture point that was and, and, and how difficult um, that situation was. And unfortunately, to kind of make a long story short, they, they really just couldn't um, kind of get over that uh, barrier or that challenge. They really sort of disagreed with the church's position on Prop 8. And so I was really kind of sad about that because, you know, I'd really invested a lot of energy in trying to create a warm and welcoming atmosphere for them. And uh, things were just going so well. And then that just became a, a really big stumbling block. I think um, I think his wife, um, who was taking the missionary discussions, I think one of her family members may have been um, gay or LGBTQ. And uh, of course, you know, that was um, just um, too, too big of a thing maybe for her to to swallow. So, you know, that did um, sort of shake things up a little bit for me. And I began to, you know, maybe pray and ask some questions. And, you know, I, I did begin to sort of open myself to, um, you know, reading blogs and, you know, researching uh, things a little bit more. And, um, you know, probably one of the, one of the next things that happened in my journey is, I read a book by Carolyn Pearson called uh, No More Goodbyes, and that really um, radically changed my perspective and began to um, sort of uh, challenge me both as a member of the church and as a bishop, but also as a mental health therapist because, um, you know, of uh, suicides and depression. And uh, one one person in particular that she writes about is uh, Stuart Mattis, and um, you may know about his story and, and and him taking his life. And it's it's a really just a heartbreaking story. And uh, I just remember how much it uh, it really affected me, and just how I felt like, oh my goodness, me as a mental health therapist being responsible. Uh, professionally, you know, to try to try to uplift people's mental health and and how so many of our LDS LGBTQ folks, you know, just are struggling. And I really felt like I needed, um, quite frankly, to repent. And I know that's a really loaded word, but I, I like the Greek translation of that, which is to kind of change your thinking. Um. So I, you know, just really began to radically change um, my thinking on on these issues, and to really open myself to prayer and and to study, and um, you know. Um, so eventually, I I decided that I needed to. T it's not enough to just, you know, what we say, kind of faith without works is is dead, right? right. <laughs> it's good good LDS folks say, right? Right. <laughs> it's not enough just to, to you know, kind of change your thinking or just just have faith, but, but to also take action. And so 
um, I was in contact with some um, people who were putting on a conference in Salt Lake City. And they, uh, you know, it was a conference of allies and um, LDS, LGBTQ um, folks. And it was called the Circling the Wagons Conference. And that took place in November of 2011. And I wanted to go. I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so I actually, you know, bought a plane ticket and and uh, said, hey, you know, I'm going to attend this conference. And they found out that I was um, an LDS bishop, the, um, the people who were putting on the conference. And they asked me if I was willing to conduct uh, one of the sessions. And I said, sure. And so it was really there that I, you know, had an opportunity not just to conduct the session, but, you know, also to say a few words of my own and to say, hey, I, you know, I'm an ally. And um, I had sort of decided at that point that I was, um, you know, really uh, going to support, um, you know, civil marriage equality and and um and you know just lgbt equality and and uh and and those types of issues and uh so yeah i you know i was a mormon bishop who openly supported those things and and said so so you know that was a big deal back in 2011 you know that was that was before you know many many states had enacted um, marriage equality laws and um, and then finally the Supreme Court um, you know kind of decided on it and you know um, you know for the whole country so um, so that was really big and uh, then they asked me um, they were trying to look for for somebody to um, you know either a member of the 70 or somebody to speak at the interfaith um, you know, Sunday session. And I hadn't really planned on actually attending that part of the session. I was going to be meeting with friends, but they asked me, Hey, you know, we really couldn't find anybody comfortable to speak at the interfaith session. So, um, so I said, okay. And, um, you know, I, I I gave a, a talk there and, you know, one of the things that I said is is that, you know, straight members of the church, we needed to really change our thinking about LGBTQ people in, in and out of the church. And I sort of used the word repent. And again, you know, I was in the frame of mind <laughs> of, you know, the Greek translation, which is just to simply change our thinking, to change change how you look at something or yourself. And so I kind of said that, you know, the straight members of the church, you know, we kind of need to repent. And, you know, when when somebody says that, <laughs> as you can imagine, it brought a, a lot of um, a lot of energy to to uh, what happened afterwards. I didn't realize that actually there was a reporter there from the Salt Lake Tribune. And um, so I didn't really I didn't really know that the press was going to be there. Another thing that I said is I really quoted um, Zechariah in, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. And I said that um, LDS, LGBTQ people had been wounded in the house. 
sorry, uh, had been wounded in the house of their friends. Sorry, Richard, um, but I, I still feel that way. I still feel there's um, so much work to be done. And, and I think you can bear testimony um, as you've talked with um, lots and lots of people on your podcast and in person that the wounds are very real and, um, and how unfortunate it is that, um, you know, not only in our, our church, but really throughout the world and throughout history, um, you know, um, uh, through marginalization and discrimination and oppression that, um, that we haven't been, um, uh, good brothers and, and sisters to, um, our LGBTQ neighbors, friends, and family. And so I did say that. And, um, yeah, so, and, you know, I said, you know, all the lives, you know, kind of lost, um, is, is just, it's an atrocity that's, that's happened and it didn't, it didn't need to happen. And, um, so, uh, unfortunately the reporter, <laughs> sort of took a really, really aggressive headline in the Salt Lake Tribune that said, Mormon bishop accuses uh, church of atrocities. <laughs> and, um, you know, just really didn't take into context everything that I was saying, um, which was really about love and, you know, kind of embracing our LGBTQ neighbors, friends and family inside the church and outside the church. And so, it, it had a really aggressive headline and, and, um, you know, so when it, when it came out that night, it just really created, um, just a big controversy and a big shockwave, um, um, as you can imagine. I'm really touched. You know, we've done a lot of podcasts and we've had a lot of people quote New Testament, Old Testament, Book of Mormon, but I've never that phrase I brought tears to my eyes too, Kevin, wounded in the house of their friends. And I've certainly come to see that and many allies have. And of course, LGBTQ people know that pain firsthand. And I just think it's part of our ability of our responsibility to look inward and see um, how we need to do better. And we can do that from a position of faith in the church to also recognize kind of both. It's, you can still have faith and confidence, support in the church, and honor other people's pain. That actually seems to be a principle of ministering and a principle that Christ would want us to embrace. So I love that. It's And I love what you said. And I love kind of not having an owner's manual or a roadmap and just recognizing that you'd like to be a part of this healing circle of wagons event. And, um, and then we're asked to speak and did your very best. And like me, when I'm new to the space, you kind of don't quite know all the, I don't know if I can call them landmines or just all the sensitive things that can happen as you bring your voice in this space, um, especially if you have a calling as bishop. I think you probably weren't going there saying, I speak for the church or this is, I'm representing right. the church. You just spoke as a as a lay person and people were aware of your calling or you mentioned it, but I'm sure that you know, you didn't go in and want that headline to be created and the shockwaves that then happened. No, 
No, I didn't. And I, and thanks for saying that because I did want to, I did say in the talk that I'm speaking for myself, you know, and, um, you know, that I can't speak for the church, you know, there's really only the president of the church can, you know, has the complete authority to fully speak for the church. Even many of the apostles and the brethren have, have even said that themselves. So, um, and then also, you know, I just felt it was in alignment with, with covenant, you know, that really when we, when we're baptized, we covenant as the Book of Mormon talks about to, to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And certainly, um, because of the history and because of things that have been said, uh, our LGBTQ um, neighbors and and those in the church definitely often often need that. And um, so I wanted I wanted to 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 do that. And um, so yeah, it, it you know I I think you know the church office building sort of lit up with with phone calls and then um, a blog had, had picked things up. The, the people from the conference, um, they immediately put out a transcript of what I had said when they saw the headline. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, they put out the video. And so they really um, had my back. And then um, someone who was, sort of didn't attend the conference, but she was connected with the people who put on the conference. Her name is Joanna Brooks, and she's an LDS feminist um, author, and some of your listeners may know her. But she interviewed me for her, um, uh, for the blog that she writes for. Um, and so she was able to do a question and answer with me, and then that helped to put more context into into the story, but you know, it was it was just a beautiful, beautiful conference. And the keynote speaker there was actually Carolyn Pearson, and she's really an incredible woman. And I got to meet her uh, before um, the day before the interfaith conference um, or the interfaith uh, meeting. And she said something really powerful, and I often think about you uh, when I when I remember what she said to me. Um, you know, she said, you know, um, she's like she thanked me for for being there and for you know being willing to to say these things publicly. And she said, more bishops will come, Interesting. and more bishops will, um, you know, become allies. And it was the way she said it, Richard, it was it was almost like the gift of prophecy, you know, and she's just such a such an amazing person. And um, when I saw you and, you know, the great work that you have done and, and just how you um, how you uh, began to to move into the space of an ally and, and being really public yourself. I just often think about her words and and really see you as as a fulfillment of of what she said, and it was just beautiful. And the spirit was, you know, just so strong that, you know, I wouldn't be this lone voice in the wilderness. <laughs> you know, as, as, that there would be other bishops 
um, and leaders who would who would become allies. And so that was a really a special moment in the conference that that helped me to feel a little bit better about <laughs> what happened afterwards. I love that, and thank you. And I love the tribute to Carolyn Pearson. Um, she certainly has been an influence to me as I've read her books. Um, yeah. Some of those books I read quite a while ago, and I think it was just part of my journey that then when I became, nothing really changed me when I read those books, to be honest. I didn't suddenly become an ally. I didn't go on social media. But I think it stirred something in me, um, and the suicide of that Mathis, Mattis kid, I believe is his last name. Yeah. Um, I forget, Stuart, is that right, Stuart? Yeah. I remember reading, yeah. I believe, his parents' book about his story. Yeah. But I think that kind of moved something in me that when I had priesthood responsibility then, um, I was in a different space because of those books and her work. And and I, I think there's a lot of um, bishops and Relief Society presidents, young women and young men presidents, stake presidents that are allies and they may not feel impressed to be public on social media. That may not be, but they may be doing things that in their wards and stake in their circle of influence that is making a difference. And I think what you're sharing helps others know how to do that because I didn't know how to do that. I kind of, I reckon it was just a Pandora's box. It was a dichotomy to kind of do both. And that sort of faded away. I recognize I can do both. Um, Talk about just any, you've got a stake president who I assume became aware of this. Just tell our listeners if there was, um, how he responded and if there was anything negative that occurred there. Yeah. So um, the stake president at the time, he, he was a friend of mine and he actually was, was in my ward. So he's, um, he would, would have been a member of, of um, my ward. So, you know, I called him, you know, as soon as I got back to Illinois and, um, you know, he was, he was aware, um, he had heard, you know, probably somebody had reached out to him, um, higher up, um, in authority. And, um, so, you know, he, you know, he, he probably didn't like the controversy, but he realized that the, a Tribune article had probably gone way too far that as uh, I may have mentioned that the Deseret News actually published a article on it and, and, uh, you know, made reference to a, a religion blog that could see the transcript and the video of what I had said and that it didn't sort of match up with really a sensational um, headline. And so he said, you know, we're not going to censure you. We're not going to release you. Um, you know, we, we don't want you to do any more, any more speeches really. <laughs> you may want to just sort of take a break. And, you know, the other thing that he may have been aware of that, you know, what happened, uh, you know, which was really, um, you know, kind of scary for me and my family is, uh, a, a website came, uh, went up or a web page came up and it was called excommunicate, uh, Kevin Klusterman. Wow. And it, it was, it was pretty scary because on that web page, they talked about blood atonement and calling for, 
for blood atonement on me, you know, oh, wow. which is, you know, really old school, <laughs> you know, back in, in the days of, uh, you know, uh, Brigham Young, kind of the, the death penalty, you know, for the state. And, um, so kind of calling for the death penalty against me. And, you know, there's a couple of, uh, comments from other people on the page, you know, agreeing with that. And also on this web page, they had um, they'd done some research on me because they published uh, uh, my um, my home address. Wow. Uh, they published uh, my work address and they had the names of my wife and my children. And so that was that was really scary with what I was going through. And um, so. Um, you know the the state president was 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 kind but you know i think he knew that there was a lot of heat going on and it, it probably was best to just let things you know sort of um sort of settle down another thing that i think you know sort of um kind of inadvertently helped me to so that you know i don't think the church wanted to do anything drastic there with me was that it was the time um, Mitt Romney was running for president, <laughs> That's right. and so I don't I don't think anybody wanted <laughs> wanted a lot of any more heat than was already being generated um, at the time. But um, yeah, you know, after after that web page, I, I did go to the police and I did file a, uh, a police report and eventually the web page got taken down, but that was a really scary moment for, um, for me and for my, our family. It's really scary. Um, especially when you, as dads, we think about our responsibility to our wives and kids and that's, uh, that's really scary. And I'm glad you shared that with our listeners to help everybody understand the complexities of this, this space. Yeah. And, you know, it also shows that, you know, as allies, you do have to kind of put some skin in the game. You, you really do. Um, and, uh, you know, but also, you know, needing to understand too, that, um, that, uh, people who, um, just, you know, sometimes have a lot of hatred in their heart or, you know, just um, just feel, you know, just really like this is a red line. Um, you know, they can come after allies and 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 say, hey, get back in line here and get back in, um, you know, being in a, you know, a certain box and get get on the other side of. Uh, of not being an ally. And so, you know, sometimes that does happen. And, um, you know, even though that, that went up that web page, um, and even though it was really, really scary and I, it, you know, made me a little shaky, I, looking back, I, I haven't regretted, you know, what I did. And, um, I'm glad that I spoke out and I'm glad that I, you know, took the stand, you know, that I did. And, um, you know, I, I've been, I haven't been a perfect ally. You know, I think you, you understand how that goes that, you know, yeah. allies early on in their journey can be really clumsy in what they say and what they do. And you learn, you kind of learn on, on the job, so to speak. 
week. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and there's there's certainly things I probably would have said and done, you know, kind of differently. And, you know, now I really, really try to check in with um, um, LDS, LGBTQ people or, you know, in general, in, in and out of the church. Um and and make sure that my thinking and my words and my actions uh, are more in alignment with what is effective and and what is truly you know supportive. But you know I was probably clumsy at first, <laughs> but had good intentions. <laughs> um, I love that story, and I love your um, sharing that journey. I'm, a couple of, and there may be more of that story you want to share, but. Um, I would think of all the allies you're in the being in this for nine years now, roughly that puts you in the top, maybe 10% or 20% of just longevity. <laughs> um, be, I don't know if that's true. That's just, you're one of the allies that's been on the podcast. That's been in the space the longest. What have you seen change in nine years within the church? Um, obviously, our doctrine hasn't changed, um, but are there things that you've noticed in that nine years from um, now compared to when you started? Yeah, it's that's a really good question because there's just been a lot of ups and downs. Um, I'll give you, you know, kind of a local example. Uh, one thing that I did after I was released um by the stake president and the stake president um, wanted to emphasize that it was an honorable release that it, you know, uh, my wife asked him, you know, is he being released because of what he did? And the stake president said, no. Um, but uh, I do believe that uh, there was probably maybe some, some factor that may have been part of his prayerful thinking and decision to, to release me. Um, but after, and, he, and he's still just a great, great friend. And, and, um, you know, I put him in a, in a difficult position, I think, <laughs> but, um, you know, after I did get released, I really began to sort of put my shoulder to the wheel. And so I, I became very, very active in, um, equality, Illinois, which, um, was, um, you know, politically trying to bring uh, marriage equality at the time to, to Illinois. And so I was, you know, I was um, really working hard to to do that because I felt, you know, strongly about civil marriage equality. And um, I, I do remember a time also where I may have been on Twitter or something like that when um, marriage equality came to Utah just it was just kind of a brief thing. I, I think there was a federal ju judge or something that um, basically sort of overturned whatever the statute was. Um, and so couples were able to, uh, gay couples were able to um, get married in Utah. And I, I actually, through social media, kind of... Um, was acquainted with the first gay couple to get married in Utah. And uh, their names are uh, Michael Ferguson and um, J. Seth uh, Anderson. And, um, you know, I didn't know them well, but, you know, I, I saw it happening sort of in real time, you know, on 
on Twitter. <laughs> They're like, wow, I can't believe this. We're getting, you know, we're getting married. And, um, and I, you know, just said, Hey, congratulations to you, you know? And, um, the Bishop sort of who succeeded me, um, he, he didn't feel comfortable with what I was doing. So there's a period of time where he met with me and, um, I needed to get my temple recommend renewed because it was after the two years and he wouldn't renew it because of, of my, um, you know, political activities and because of, um, you know, me congratulating the first gay couple to get married in Utah on Twitter. And we went back and forth uh, about it. I, I, uh, you know, had my quotes from the brethren, you know, I had, uh, you know, President Monson when he first became um, uh, the president of the church. Uh, after President Hinckley died, uh, he was at a press conference and Peggy Fletcher Stack um, asked him directly, you know, can can someone in the church who supports marriage equality, can they still be a member in good standing? And, uh, you know, his answer was yes. But my bishop, you know, and I, I brought that quote to him and, you know, brought the article in the Salt Lake Tribune. But my bishop, um, you know, he he said, you know, because it wasn't printed in the ensign or it wasn't, you know, an official church statement, um, you know, he, he still felt like um, he should, um, you know, uh, not renew my temple recommend, which was really, really hard for me. It was... Um, yeah. It was really, really um, painful, as you can imagine, to to not be able to go to the temple with my my wife and my children, and that lasted for about a year, um, you know. And and there's lots of details to the to the story, but eventually he did come around. And so, kind of a long answer to your question, he was able to sort of come around and see where I was coming from. And, you know, he saw the Mormons and Gays uh, website that the church um, first did, and that kind of softened him a little bit. And, um, you know, he kind of came to me later and said, you know, I, I, you know, he didn't totally say that he was becoming an ally, <laughs> but, um, you know, he he did soften. And um, I hope that that's continued, you know, to this day. Eventually, I got my temple recommend back. And, you know, I think it was, it started out really, really rough at first, but, um, but eventually, um, it, it got to a good place. And then, of course, you know, that so that was like in, you know, 2000, you know, 13 or 2014. And then, of course, you know, about November 2015. And that was just a really, really uh, very difficult time. And uh, I think it just sent, um, you know, shockwaves through, um, you know, the LDS, LGBTQ community and allies and things like that. So, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs and then, you know, to 
to sort of have that moved back. And then, um, you know, the BYU uh, honor code um, kind of rupture point recently where they sort of changed the language. And then it looked like, um, you know, gay couples could date. And then it was, you know, no, they can't. Um, and just kind of the ambiguity, you know, so there's just a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, with traditional communities, it is a lot of times, you know, kind of two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, it's hard to, you know, there's a lot of people that can't, you know, can't, um, it's hard for them to go through that back and forth and that tension, you know. But, you know, I'm 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 an optimist and and definitely, you know, in the long term, uh, I believe that, you know, things things do change over time. And if you look at the history of the church, that's certainly been the case. <laughs> I think a lot of us would be really surprised if we could go back in time, you know, 50 or 100 years ago and go to go to church. You know, some things would be really the same. But some things would be different too, wouldn't they? And um, so I, I do have hopes that that things will continue to to get better. I like that answer, Kevin. And I, it's not a linear line. You're right. It's sort of, it's choppy, and it's two steps forward, one step backwards. And I like you sharing that Temple Recommend experience and um, and just some of that journey. Like you, I get a lot of messages um, from active Latter-day Saints that are kind of in a faith crisis. They, It's the first thing that's come along that's really shaken them, and they kind of read back sometimes all the things our leaders have said about LDA, about LGBTQ people, or whatever vocabulary we're using in the past. And it can be, and we recognize as we read those um, that that's not things that we teach today. And we kind of cringe, and then we start to ask ourselves, well, how could um, God's mouthpiece or our leaders be misinformed and say some of those things? And it creates uh, sort of a, a uh, you know, what cognitive dissonance or just challenge. Do you have advice for listeners that are in that space that want to find a way to believe in our church and, and but are aware of our complicated history? on LGBTQ issues? Yeah, that's that's a great question. One thing that sort of comes to my mind, you know, I, I think for us um, in, in the restoration of the gospel and those who were really at the beginning of that, um, you know, they were really searching for a restoration of that um, that New Testament church of um, living apostles and prophets again. And so we really see those callings in a very, very sacred way. At the same at the same time, we really need to look at the scriptures and see that apostles and prophets all struggled. And there's so many examples of of them. Um, you know, struggling with different things. And even in uh, Joseph Smith and, and um, you know, I, I think, I think all, all of the, you know, presidents of the church have, have, have struggled to, um, 
to learn more. And if you look at the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, our sacred uh, scriptures, um, restoration scriptures like the Book of Mormon and Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants, but particularly in the Doctrine and Covenants, those revelations came out of asking questions. And sometimes you don't even know what the, necessarily what questions to ask. Um, an example of this is in the Book of Mormon, where the Savior at the Bountiful Temple experience is um, talking to the people, and he's telling them that in the in the old world, he told his followers and his disciples and apostles that other sheep he had, which are not of of uh, this fold, and they sort of just automatically thought, well, he must be talking about the Gentiles, people who are not, um, you know, Jewish or Hebrew in, in their, in their, um, in their tradition. But what he says in the Book of Mormon, which is really, really interesting, is if they had just um, asked him, if they had just wanted to know more instead of just assuming that they had the answer, he would have told them about um, uh, the people in the Book of Mormon. And um, so I think that's a powerful example of how important it is to ask questions, to not think that you, um, you know, any of us have it all sort of figured out. There's another uh, scripture in the Book of Mormon, I think it's in Second Nephi, it's kind of that a Bible, a Bible, you know, we've already got a Bible. And it's kind of a message that says, you know, uh, hey, you know, just because there's these scriptures doesn't mean that God has stopped talking or stopped revealing. And there's really a, a powerful verse that says, um, you know, if you kind of say, I've got it all figured out and I don't need any more, I don't need any more revelation. Um, not only will you not get any more revelation, but you will lose what you had. And it's, it's a powerful example for all of us to be humble and to be open and to ask questions and to not be prideful or arrogant and say, we've got all the answers, we got it all figured out. Because the moment we do that, no matter who we are, um, we run the risk of, uh, you know, the Lord pulling back. And, and, you know, a lot of the brethren have said the restoration is ongoing. And so those, those scriptures really give me hope. I, I hope that those who listen to your podcast can, can look at those uh, verses and those chapters in the Book of Mormon that that talk about that, or look at the DNC and and read the the introduction and how it talks about how all of those revelations came from from asking questions. And um, you know, it, 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 when you look back in time, it's very easy to sort of say, "Wow, they really." didn't see it. But we've got to start getting comfortable with realizing that that's the case for for all of us. You know, I think it's Paul in the New Testament in Corinthians who said, and he had, you know, of course, some amazing spiritual experiences. Um, he said, we all see through the glass darkly. 
And so we got, even though we see these callings as being very, very sacred, which they are, at the same time, too, we need to give space and openness that, um, you know, we're not all perfect and we don't have it all figured out. And it's easy to think that your generation, the generation that you're in, um, whether it's science or faith, that you've got all the answers and you're at the pinnacle, you're at the top of the mountain and there's nowhere else to go. So I hope that helps some listeners. And, I, you know, that certainly has helped me to have the openness and the flexibility to, um, you know, kind of hang in there and to uh, have hope and faith that um, that things can get better. What a thoughtful answer. I can tell you've been spending a lot of time thinking about a question like that in your personal journey and the personal revelation. And I love the way you came to the scriptures and scripture examples that are there to help us navigate these kind of things. There's a quote that I put in this book I'm writing. I, I mention it sometimes in the podcast. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints out in September. But one of my institute teachers shared this quote. It's just what you're saying, Kevin, and quote, in some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining a humility to learn. Absolutely. That's a wonderful quote. Talk. I'm really excited, um, you know, that your book is coming out. That's that's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I just really see that in you, that you've, you, you've had the humility and the openness to, you know, it's the name of your podcast. Yeah, you know, they listen, learn, and love, and and that really bespeaks your approach and your attitude. And in order for us to have um, revelation, in order for us to learn, we've got to be humble. Talk about why you stay. Are there in the church? Um, uh, some allies leave. You know, they become aware of. Um, that LGBTQ people, to use that scripture you referenced, I think in, I can't remember, it was a Z chapter in the New Testament, wounded in Zachariah, yeah. Zachariah, I think Zachariah <laughs> yeah. 13, 6, but they become aware that LDS LGBTQ people have been wounded in the house of their friends, and so they see that and they leave, and I I've learned to honor people that leave and just leave that at the Savior's feet. But why do you stay? Are there core doctrines in our church, restored truths, teachings, personal revelation you receive? Why do you stay knowing that at times um, the church has wounded other people? Yeah, that's that's a really a really deep question, and I'm glad you asked it. It's a really good question, and I'll just be honest with you and your listeners and vulnerable. Um, there's been days and sometimes where I didn't know if I could do it. Um, the The 2015 uh, policy, you know, some people called it the exclusion policy, but um, that was a really, really tough moment for me when my bishop would not renew my temple recommend i really felt um like walking away then too you know i i'm well i'm somebody who you know really loves 
science and, um, you know, I'm also just a strong person of faith and I, you know, just kind of always have been. And I don't see those two things as mutually exclusive, um, in my mind. And, and, um, I've just always just had this, um, strong spiritual component in my life since I was, you know, a child and, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it, but every time that I have felt like I couldn't go forward or I couldn't stay, there's been just this little something, either externally or internally. It could be somebody saying something to me, like, you know, they're just really grateful for what I do in the church or um, somewhere where the spirit just feels really strong to me and, and, um, you know, in, in, in what somebody is saying or what they're teaching. And it just keeps me connected. And it just, it just feels sort of like, um, kind of the savior, just, um, just reaching out to me and, and, you know, uh, just the impression that, I need to stay a little longer and then a little longer and then a little longer. And I hope it doesn't run out because I don't want to leave. You know, there's so much that is good and so much that is beautiful. Um, And the connection with my, with my wife and, and with my children and with my friends and extended family. And, and I, I love, um, you know, so many of the the doctrines of the church and the teachings of the church and and the Savior and um, so, but it's been hard sometimes. I want to be really, you know, honest. And I wish I could put my finger finger on what you're saying, but all I can say is it just feels like there's there's something really um, spiritual that just keeps keeps pulling me back when I, when there are times when I feel like I I'm running short on hope or wondering if things will, will get better or if, um, our LGBTQ, um, LDS folks will, will one day hopefully stop being wounded, uh, you know, uh, in their families or in the church or at school. Um, so sometimes I get a little shaky and my faith gets a little shaky, but I I just keep going. And it's just cause I love, I love the restoration of the gospel and, and, um, yeah, I just feel like there's still more work for me to do. And I want to, you know, being an ally is one of the things that I definitely feel is is sort of a sort of a lifeline that keeps me connected with the church interestingly enough that um you know as long as there's a church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um there's going to be children born into our our tradition and some of those children will be lesbian some of them will be 
um, gay, some of them will be bisexual, some of them will be transgender, some of them uh, will be non-binary, some of them will be intersexual, some of them will be asexuals. Regardless of all those different differences, um, there's going to be those, um, or, or how we categorize them or how we sort of label them, there's going to be differences, and I want to be there. I want to be that safe person that those children, as they grow older, uh, as they become adolescents, as they become, um, you know, adults, um, uh, no matter what their age is, I want them to be able to see me and say, this is someone that I, I can talk to. This is somebody who will embrace me for who I am. And um, this is a safe person. So that's that's a big part of what what also keeps me connected. I love you being so vulnerable and open. Um, respect to you, Kevin. Um, I think that helps other listeners just know that there's somebody like you that's walking the same road and trying to make it work. And respect for you for that segment you just shared. I I want to have you talk to LGBTQ people before this podcast ends, not just have it just two allies the whole time. And you've done a little bit of that, but if you were a priesthood leader over somebody like you, that's kind of at times barely hanging on. um, So speak to other priesthood leaders, or it could even be a young woman's leader that's working with somebody. It's just barely hanging on or a young men's leader and elders corn president. It's just, what advice would you have for, because you, you're, you've kind of, and same with me, I've sort of, it's been a journey for me and I've felt some of the same feelings you've felt and I've been a leader. What advice do you have for leaders to help people like us? Oh, I, I hope that they, um, you know, will keep their covenants. You know, I mentioned, you know, uh, the Book of Mormon references that talk about the baptismal covenant of um, mourning with those who mourn and comforting those who stand in need of comfort. And I can't say it really any better than that. Um, if a, if a leader can just listen or just sit, um, you know, even though they may not see it exactly the same way, even though they may feel urges to try to, move that person in a different direction, if you can just listen to them and send a, send a signal to them that you're, you're open and that you're listening and that above all out, above all else that you love them, you know, unconditionally, like without, um, you know, any other strings attached Uh, to me, that's, that's one of the most powerful things you can do. And then to me, it's the right thing to do when you see that any person, uh, whether they're an ally or whether they're struggling with, um, you know, um, church history or um, whether they're LGBTQ, you know, whatever they're struggling with, you have made a covenant to be there for them and to, to be um, a safe place. You know, the Good Samaritan parable it's just, it's just one of my favorites and it's so powerful. 
and sometimes um, leaders, we sort of feel like we're we're sort of in those in the garb or the robes of the priest or the Levite, and we have to walk the line. But really, we're called ultimately to be good Samaritans on this earth, and we're we're there to to when we see somebody's wounded for whatever reason, we're there to pour oil and wine into the wound and to carry them and take them to an inn where they can recover, whatever that may be. And, you know, if, if we go the other direction where we ignore it or we, you know, um, you know, kind of weaponize doctrine or weaponize policy and, you know, pour salt into the wound, um, or, or, you know, walk on by in indifference, um, you know, that doesn't help anybody. And some people do leave and maybe that could be what's best for them. And you leave that in, like you, you said, you know, in the, in their hands and the savior's hands, but, um, you know, there's things you can do that make things worse. And there's things that you do that can make things better. And even if somebody um, chooses to to leave um, leave the church or leave our tradition, you've at least been a good, you know, they can say, I had a bishop or I had a stake president or I had a Relief Society president who cared about me, who loved me and, and um, you know, wanted to try to, 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 to listen to me. And, um, I just, I just think that those covenants can really, really guide us. And, um, you know, sometimes we're very tribal and this is definitely a tribal fault line. And when we see somebody that, you know, uh, others may perceive as, you know, not kind of following the line, you know, that we can get really, people can get triggered, you know, we're, we're kind of tribal and that's part of the natural part of who we are and um you know we just got to sort of resist those those instincts to um you know that that could do do more damage i love your answer there it's a really thoughtful mature um, been in the long space a while answer and i love that everybody can do what you suggested to do um i'd want our listeners if you Go to Kevin Klusterman's pr- Facebook profile. Um, he's got, you know, how all of you imagine Facebook right now. You've got a profile pic as part of your main page that says Pro- protect trans kids. It's a picture yeah. with you and your wife. You've got uh, the affirmation logo there. You've got the BYUY up there with the pride colors behind it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, Bio says mental health and marriage family therapist, LGBTQ plus ally with the pride flag. And there's some signaling there that is just like, um, if I'm LGBTQ or if I'm not, I just sense that you're somebody I can talk to um, about anything going on in my life. If you're going to extend those kind of visual cues, which are part of our covenants to LGBTQ people. Um, Carl Malchut, if I'm saying your name, Carl, right, I hope so, K-A-R-L-M-A-L-C-H-U-T, Carl um, Malchut is um, 
LGBTQ. He, I believe he's the per- president of the Affirmation chapter there in your area. Um, it was actually yeah. his suggestion that I followed up on to have you on the podcast. I should have thought of that on my own a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. And Carl's been on the podcast. He's somebody who converted to the church, but then stepped away from the church, but is a real bridge builder, deeply religious and spiritual and doing so much good um, with affirmation in the community. And you're, I believe, a member of his chapter. Is that true, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. That's been a great experience for me. Um, so uh, they, the Chicago, the Affirmation Chicago chapter has really... Um, you know, kind of, uh, there, there's been some, some new life breathed into it. And Carl has just been, um, such a huge part of that. And, and he's brought on, um, other individuals who have been, you know, working really hard to, um, just bring, um, you know, new, new life and, and new vitality to, to the chapter. And, um, they did a conference. It was probably almost a year ago. Um, um, you know, maybe eight months ago. Um, and they asked me to, to be a part of it and to, to speak at it and just to kind of share my story. And Carl's been just amazing as, as the other leadership. And, and recently, you know, he's, he asked me if I'd be willing to be part of the the leadership and, um, you know, wanted me to be the um, vice president of support. And so just recently, probably a couple months ago, I said that I would. And so, you know, I'm pretty excited about the future where um, Carl organized a um, mental health task force, um, you know, as part of the Chicago Affirmation chapter and brought in other professionals, you know, especially with you know, what's going on with COVID-19 and, and how we have to disconnect physically and, you know, how that can affect, you know, people's uh, mental health and uh, mental well-being. So that's been just a great initiative that he and, and the leadership have done. And, um, you know, we've done some Sunday schools online and uh, we were in the process of getting, uh, you know, some family home evenings uh, going um, those were going to be in person, but we've been in a shelter in place order here in Illinois. And, um, so, you know, we're trying to do a lot of these things like a lot of people are virtually, um, you know, and over the internet. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just so pleased with, uh, the work that he's done and, and, um, you know, affirmation is just a, just a wonderful, organization and um you know i've been connected with um you know lots of people through my journey um as an ally you know through through affirmation and other other um organizations as well so that's been just a a beautiful thing for me and it's a great way um, for me to express energy and action to to be an ally I love that. And I think uh, probably our joint advice, I'm speaking for you, Kevin, is to new allies is everybody is find your own way. Um, everybody's yeah. got to figure out how the best way to be an ally. And it may be joining a group like Affirmation or some of the other groups you got involved with Equality Illinois. Um, it may be, you know, putting uh, being pretty public on Facebook. 
like Kevin is, and I've I don't have as much on Facebook on my own profile as Kevin does. I do have LGBTQ ally, but you have more up there as far as your bio. And I think my advice is to you know go slow if you're a new ally. You don't need to join every organization, um, and let Heavenly Father kind of guide you. And probably the most important thing you do as an ally is spend some time listening to LGBTQ people. Um, you may just do that for a period of time before you really know what what your role is and becoming kind of educated. And sometimes that's, you know, meeting with LGBTQ people, friends or family in your life, and just doing what Kevin suggested in that ministering segment, just listen and be willing to hear and sit with them in the pain um, or listen to podcasts so that you can, because sometimes it's scary to listen to, to be with an LGBTQ person at first, because you might ask a question that's offensive and you don't want to offend anybody, but you can figure that out pretty quickly. Kevin, talk to, um, this is kind of a general question, but there's LGBTQ people that are listening. And I recognize the advice you give to everybody is a little different based on where they are and who they are in their individual journey. In this next segment, we just talk directly to LGBTQ people and share your feelings about them. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think for me, becoming open. You know, I, I've been going through a repentance process, and and I do call it repentance because, you know, um, just the the false witnesses that have been born about LGBTQ people, misunderstanding, ignorance. Um, sometimes it's just so hard for cisgender, for straight people to, to just understand, um, you know, and we're, we're in that kind of, uh, privileged, um, kind of position and it's just, it's hard to see it. And there's so many blind spots. So, um, I'm just really grateful for those who, who take the time. And I know that, Ideally, you know, straight cisgender people should be doing their own education and just trying to find these things out. But I'm just grateful for for those who took the time to educate me and to answer my questions. Um, I, I just I feel so strongly and profoundly that those of you who are LGBTQ are really so essential to humanity's survival. And I know in our culture, um, you know, uh, traditional, you know, uh, marriage, um, and, and I know there's there's nuance to, to that phrase too. And you know, having children is so so highlighted, you know, um, and it, it even sometimes hurts um, just single straight members of the church, you know. Um, because it's so prominent, but I've just been really fascinated by the science um, that is coming out about epigenetics and what happens in the womb and how um, <clears throat> how personality is formed. And I think there's so much that we're learning. And, you know, one of the things that I've sort of learned, and it's just sort of kind of um, scientifically, it's a theory right now, is that um, yes, there are 
you know, having children is important, but also, you know, human beings come from a tribal heritage. And whether you look at science or you look at um, scriptures or both, um, that's true. You know, that's the case. We come from from a tribal heritage. And um, my strong belief is, whether you look at it faith-based or scientifically or both, um, LGBTQ people play an absolutely essential role in the gifts that they're given and the talents that they have that they bring to the tribe. And I think any tribe or any tradition that marginalizes them or discriminates against them or bears false witness against them, whether ignorantly or maliciously, um, they they do so at their own peril. And um, I, I just, I, I believe being LGBTQ is a gift. It's a gift from God. Um, and if you don't believe in God, then it's a gift from from nature. Um, either way or both, uh, I just have a strong, strong testimony of that. And I've just been so grateful for the friends uh, and neighbors and coworkers uh, and clients um, who have uh, felt like I can be a safe person that they can open up to and have, have shared that with me. And, uh, you know, my prayer is that I can continue to grow and be a good ally. But um, I just want to say I, I love you and I respect you. I honor you. I, I, um, I see you as equals. I see you as um, fellow um, human travelers uh, in this, in this uh, mortal journey. And I'm grateful to walk beside you. And, um, you know, I, I am an ally and I do have your back and you can give me direction if you want me to um, go forward or if you want me uh, behind you or at your side or uh, if you want me to sit down or if you want me to stand up or if you want me to listen or if you want me to speak, I, I am grateful to, uh, to listen to you and to um, to, to help you take your place in the human family, uh, your rightful place. And other cultures have been able to, to, to get it right. And I believe that, that, um, that things will, will definitely get better than there may be a lot of, you know, I, I'm not always optimistic in the short term. Um, sometimes people have to do what they need to do to, to be safe, to be healthy. That's the top priority is um, being safe and healthy and that, um, you know, uh, discrimination and oppression and rejection uh, lead to significant physical health and mental health consequences. So um, whatever choices or decisions you have to make for you to be um, healthy and happy, uh, I, I'm going to stand with you. Um, but it, ultimately, I hope that you feel uh, love and support from me. That was a great segment. Um, I wrote down 
scripture came to mind as you were talking about our LGBTQ friends, perfect love casteth out fear. There was no fear, obviously, in everything you just said as you talked directly to our fellow equal human travelers. And I love some of the tones you shared, Kevin, about an ally. I'll stand, I'll sit, I'll listen. I'll kind of take my cues from you um, because that's our job as an ally. My favorite ally song is um, a song that's been one of my favorites for a long time. It's a pretty old song for some of you younger listeners, Bridge Over Troubled Water by um, Simon and Garfunkel. And there's some words in there. Your time has come to shine. Um, But I'm sailing right here behind you. I like the imagery of that. Um, I'm not sailing in front of you. Yeah, this is two allies on a podcast. So we both recognize that the reality of this podcast, um, but we're trying to use our privilege and our voice to elevate LGBTQ people um, and to let them shine. But we're right here behind them. Um, Yeah. And we're here for the long run. And we're not just, you know, and so that to me is some of the powerful visual imagery for me is my role as an ally. Do you have any, we're coming to the end, Kevin, do you have anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I, I'm just really grateful that I had this chance to to talk with you. Uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting to, to do it for a while and, and I'm just really grateful for, for your space that elevates um, LGBTQ voices. And um, yeah, you're right. We, <laughs> this is too, <laughs> this is gender straight uh, allies who are having this conversation. And we know that, you know, the main thing to do is, um, you know, to elevate those, those voices, but it's been really nice. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast and, um, you know, I, I hope that, um, perhaps my journey will help other people to, um, you know, become allies. They may be on the fence and they may be worried or struggling, but, um, we definitely need more, more allies. And it is a little bit of a learning curve. You will make mistakes, um, you know, but that's okay. And just kind of keep hanging in there and, um, you know, keep, keep your eyes open and your ears open. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an exciting journey that we're on. And, um, I've just really never regretted that I took, uh, took the steps to, to become, to become an ally, even though I've done it, you know, imperfectly and I still have things that I need to learn. But thank you so much, um, Papa Osler, for um, having me on your your uh, your wonderful podcast. Thank you, Kevin, and thanks to our listeners who make this podcast possible. Um, and so, the, um, and thanks, Carl Malchet, our friend, um, the affirmation president, for um, your example and your influence for both of us. And and the good work you're doing with the Affirmation Chapter there in Chicago, and you have our support. Um, yeah, thank you. thank you, Carl. He is Carl is just um, he's he's a he's he's a pretty incredible guy. I'm amazed at what uh, how hard he works, and just you know for for something that is just volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> what he does. So yeah, he's he's awesome. 
So thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate Kevin Klusterman being on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love with Richard Papa. I do go by that a lot on social media, Osler. And thank you, our listeners, and stay safe. And thanks to Tom, our podcast producer, who puts these up. And we appreciate if you leave a review wherever you're listening. That helps more listeners engage in the podcast. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.